0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins.
1: Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there the show of gangland wire i've got an interesting guest you all you may already know him if you do much on youtube in the mob genre i've got jeff nadu of the sit down he has a youtube channel and and i'll tell you what jeff welcome well it's great
0: to be with you gary i'm a big fan of yours you're doing a great job been around for a while I look at you you're like the professor of all that. You've <laughs> done it for a while the so professor. it's nice to speak to you and uh you know, I'm really interested in, in talking about the Kubora with you today because, um, you know, I've noticed, you know, most of the, the the audience really enjoys the American Mafia. But I think you can agree, you know, in, in even the little that some of us know about the Camorra. And in my case, I feel like I know a little bit more than most. It's definitely one of the more violent groups out there. There's been TV shows about it. Um, it's a fascinating kind of real look into a group that's really been
1: around since the 18th century. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be with you, and I, I appreciate you having Yeah, and you know, I noticed uh, looking at your show, and and I've listened to a few of them. Uh, it's hard to listen to all. There's quite a little bit of uh, content out there right now, but I, I like yours for the content than the factual kind of content that that you bring to people and you've covered the waterfront on the new york families so guys if if you want to learn a little more about the new york families uh you know hit up uh the sit down on youtube and you also did my notice on a couple of philly guys merlino and nicky Scarfo, and had jack garcia on he's a good guest i had him jack's a great guy yeah he's got some great stories uh he's uh You know, I really that's the thing,
0: Gary, and I know you're you're very much about it as well. I I try to, you know, kind of tell people, you know, look, the people we're talking about are bad people, but it's important that we tell the history of these people. And and we try to do it. You know, a lot of this stuff is known. We try to tell people stuff maybe they don't know or get into people that are a little less covered. And, uh, you know, I know you do that as well. So, yeah,
1: it's fun to it's fun to go over. Right. You know, in the little bit I remember, that I've done uh, some shows on Australia. It seemed like the Camorra has a pretty good presence in Australia, and I believe even maybe in in Canada. They don't seem to have much presence in the United States that I ever know about. Now, you may enlighten me on that. So, I, I tell you what, uh, uh, Jeff, let's uh, just start a little bit about the the basic history. I don't know what area of Italy did they come from, and and how what's the structure of it.
0: Yeah, the Camorra is basically based in, in Naples and in Campania, which, you know, a lot of people don't know the Camorra has really been around since you know the 17th century. There, there There's talk that, that back then there, there was certain, you know, kind of small levels of, of, of people that, that were involved with kind of a shady criminal syndicate in Naples. Now, the, the real kind of Camorra was formed really in the 1700s. There was gambling houses that were popping up around Naples. There was a certain area of Naples where Gambling was, was allowed. Prostitution was allowed. And there was a game that kind of was created in Italy called Mora. It's a hand uh, gesture game, which has been played for centuries in Italy. And that's kind of really where the name derives, from, uh, Mora being the game. And then Ka is a takeaway from Capo, which obviously we know as boss or leader. Um, but there was really the, the thing about the Camorra that's different from the uh, American mafia or, or other groups, is there's no real structural boss, if you will. Now, early on when the Camorra was created, there were. There were 12 districts in Naples that were run by certain people, and there was one figurehead in the 1700s, really into the 1800s, an individual named Salvatore di Crescenzo. Crescenzo was kind of the capendesta, which is the leader of this group. And really towards the 1860s, when the unification of Italy happened, There was all sorts of things going on inside Naples and around Italy, and the Camorra was actually called on to really protect the people. That's always really been kind of the 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 derivative of the Camorra. They they acted as obviously you know uh, protection rackets and and loan sharks and things like that, but they also protected the people and they were very much connected to the people because at the end of the day, most of the people that were involved with the Camorra were people in those neighborhoods, just like any other American mafia. The first real kind of boss or cap testa that we know of as Camorra historians is an individual named Chicho Capuccio. Capuccio had been around, his family had run an area of Naples forever, basically, and he was the first known Capintesta. He was the first person to really get into doing extortion, loan sharking, and that became the main moneymaker for the Camorra way back, You know, really in the 1860s, 1870s. Once we got to the 1900s, the Italian government, once they unified, really started to look into the Camorra. And Naples really kind of went at them full force. They really grabbed them up, started to bring them into justice, bring them into the into the forefront. And really in the 1900s, Gary, really till the kind of the 1950s, we didn't hear much from the Camorra. They, they, the government really did a nice job to kind of suppress them. It wasn't until 1956 when Morocco became an independent nation. That's where the Camorra really started to come up again, where there was the flow of drugs coming into the Port of Naples. And then we can kind of get into like the modern day Camorra, but it's really been around forever. Um, And it acted just as any other organization did. The problem that we see in the world, whether it's the Americas or Europe or or really anywhere, the level of the government not helping people ends up being where these criminal groups create because people aren't getting things from the government. You have groups like the Camorra that are willing to come in and say to somebody, hey, we'll help you get on your feet. We'll help you do what the government can't do. And that's where you have groups like the Camorra that are created.
1: Interesting. Uh, did they start like uh, the mafia, at least in the United States? And and they did a lot of this in Sicily and, and preying on their own people, extorting money from some of the more successful uh, neighbors, shall we say? And Yeah, I, I,
0: I think that's always been the growing thought. And that's really most how all these mafias originally started. If we know anything about the early mafia in America, it really started from the Black Hand, which came over from Sicily and that sort of thing. And Camorra was a little different. Um, You know, it had really been kind of almost a political uh, group that that would help people that, you know, when the the unification of Italy happened, there were uh, people trying to come in and and, and kind of conquer uh, Naples and the Camorra acted as almost like a protector of the people. And initially, as I said, the, the first creation of the Camora, the gambling houses that I mentioned in the in the 1700s used the Camorra as kind of protection from the police. Because at one point, Naples outlawed gambling houses and used the Camorra as kind of protection to protect them from the from the police. So the area of Naples that they operated was really there was never any pronounced mob group there. So the Camorra kind of slotted in. It wasn't until the '70s where we know the Camorra to be really an organized kind of group. Where we got away from the, the 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 structure that we see in America with like a boss and 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 everything. The difference of the Camorra and the the American Mafia is the Camorra has most notably, really in the last 50 years, been a group with no distinct leader. Okay, they're 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 really just clans and groups that all operate in the same areas. And they all kind of work for the most part in succession. Now, sometimes there there are rivalries and and feuds and wars, which I'll get into. But in 1970, an individual named Rafael Cotolo, he's really the modern godfather of the Camorra. He rectified it, resurrected it from really being non existent for a long time in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Once Morocco becomes a country, they kind of start seeing the flow of drugs come into Naples. And that's where. Kutolo kind of starts getting into cocaine in the 70s. He establishes a major network of loan sharks and extortionists. Kutolo is an interesting guy, Gary. Kutolo actually was born in the early 40s and was actually sentenced to 24 years for homicide at age 21. And he went into prison. And that's really where the, this new, this new Kimura was based, the NCO, the Nuovo Kamora organization. He basically started connecting people in prison together, and he started a group that all formed in prison. All of his main emissaries were prison pals of his. He starts creating this new order, if you will, and starts going into some of these rundown neighborhoods like we see in really any walk of life in the world where you have ghettos or or places of, of really bereft of anything solid. They go in there, these groups, they kind of align with some of the youth and the kids in these areas. And Cotolo at one point was looked at as this um, kind of mythical figure. He was going into these neighborhoods. He was paying these people to come work for him, basically. And he was running it out of prison this entire time. So Cotolo was the first real known Kimura hierarchy boss. He kind of resurrected it from where it had once been.
1: So those neighborhoods that were kind of a breeding ground, if you will, for this more modern Gomorrah, is that like we see in that movie, or uh, that series Gomorrah? Is that those yeah, neighborhoods like that? I, I'm always surprised they have like projects over in Italy, you know.
0: They do. They and, very and, much do. And that's something that, you know, Cutolo, he actually was from outside of Naples, but he kind of banded in that Campania area and, and, and almost started to create different, as I said, little districts. There are little neighborhoods in, in, in Naples, just like any other city. And once he starts coming in, yeah, that's exactly how it works. You have these young individuals. There's three levels of of Camorra, right? There's the Pichola de Noro, which are like these uh, prospects, basically, the very low end uh, members. Uh, they may act as runners for, for a drug group, or um, they may commit small crimes, really kind of proving their loyalty to the group. Then there's the Ticciolo the di the They're more of the enforcers. They're the ones that are trying to um, kind of show the, the high-end boss in that neighborhood that they're able to do what they have to do. They'll, they'll commit murders. One of the big things in Italy, particularly in Naples, that's very pronounced, Gary, is people in the second level of wanting to become a camarista, they uh, will take the rap for higher-end bosses. So Let's say a higher end enforcer gets involved in a murder. The lower end guys will take the rap for them. They'll go to prison. They'll show that they're worthy of, of being involved, and then they'll become a camarista, which is the highest level. Uh, then there's the aligned bosses. But yeah, the, the show is very similar to the actual uh, what the Camorra really is. Now we'll get into the individual that kind of the show is based on because that is based on real people, Gary. The show Camorra is based on all real people, but Cotola was the first real. Power broker in the Naples area that really kind of created a structure, a, a, an honor code. He wrote a book with with a code, basically oh, saying really? how Camorra uh, uh, people need to behave. And you know, he really kind of grounded the group, started getting it involved in political things, involved in the drug trade. Because one thing about the Camorra, they sold a lot of cocaine because at that point in the seventies the sicilian mob and, and more south was dealing in heroin yeah. they felt like cocaine was the right business to go in because there just weren't that many people in the south doing it.
1: well they were correct on that for sure um from the in the 70s to the 80s there was up into the 90s man that was the that was the go-to drug and that was where all the money was that's for sure now uh you said they uh, they set it up out of Morocco and then what they have like lines from Colombia to Morocco. There's, is there puppies and cocaine in, in Africa or. Yeah, obviously. So like a lot of the, the cocaine was coming from South America
0: into Morocco, because at that okay. point, you know, it's very close to Italy you know, obviously the Northern African countries, Tunisia, Algeria, yeah. Morocco. Um, it's, and that's the great thing about Naples, you know, a little kind of geography, you know, it's all, it's all on the Gulf of Naples, so it's very easy to get in. The port's right there. It's a perfect city to sell drugs in because, as you know, um, you know all the major cities on the East Coast all have ports, whether it's New York or, or wherever, so it's easy to get the flow of drugs. It's easier to create these shipment uh, kind of uh, lines of communication, so it, it worked out perfectly. Now, ultimately for Cotolo, he spent most of his time in prison, and he ruled behind prison walls. He actually, um, at one point, he dictated the path of the family to his sister. One of the things about the Camorra that's a lot different than American mafia and really some of the other groups is you see a lot of women that had that been kind of higher end figures. Uh, a woman like R- Rosetta Cotolo, who was uh, Cotolo's sister, she would handle a lot of the day-to-day operations as Cotolo was in prison, but for most of Cotolo's life was spent in prison. Uh, he, he was in and out of jail, um, you know, which kind of, made it difficult for him to run and at one point like i said he had to deal with his sister but like any other Kamora boss his power structure would be uh, infringed upon another group would kind of break away and they would kind of war back and forth with each other uh you know and also the government did a decent job of bringing these guys down but it wasn't until the 2000s when things really got out of control with um with the Kamora, and that kind of brings us to where we see in gomor that The the main character is that guy, Savastano. He's based on an individual named Paolo Deloro. In the early 80s, Paolo Deloro was from Segunda which is where the show is based. That is where you have the housing projects. It's a very rundown area. At the time, that was the main power area of the Camorra. It was run by a guy called Anelio La Monica. La Monica, the one problem that La Monica had, he was old school. He was very violent. He did not understand that drugs were the way to get really rich. And he was old school. And, you know, Deloro was coming up. He had actually worked actually worked for La Monica as a bookkeeper. And he had realized that not only was La Monica old school, but he was not willing to um, you know, share all the profits that he was making. And he ultimately had La Monica killed. La Monica was killed in 1982. And from that point on, Deloro took over Segunda Liana. And He made it into the largest open-air drug market in all of Europe. At one point in a 10-year period between 82 and the early 90s, Delora was in the hundreds of millions as far as net worth. And what he was doing was he was transforming Segunda Leano and Scampia, which is in the northern of Naples, to basically a drug bazaar. And that was the only form of money they made. He realized drugs was where the money was. We're going to eliminate all other crime, and we're going to operate in secret. He was very uh, secretive. He lived in the area. He was very insulated, and he sold drugs, hashish, cocaine, and heroin. And if you know anything about those buildings, uh, La Valle, they call them, um, they are drug bazaars. Everyone in those buildings is directly affiliated mm-hmm. with the drug trade, and he had hundreds if not thousands of people that ran every corner in Naples. And if you were operating, he had a very interesting uh, way of doing things. He would basically charge every person that sold drugs, so any corner boy or a clan boss or whoever, he would charge them a tax to operate there, and they would have to buy a minimum amount of drugs per week. What they did after that was up to them. But he took from everyone, as well as the street tax from each dealer, and he was making millions of dollars. Interestingly enough, Gary, until the mid 90s, the Naples police, the Carabinieri, they didn't even know he existed. He was that secretive. Um, There was just all this stuff going on and he was not known to the police until the mid 90s. Weirdly enough, he had 10 sons, Gary, 10 sons. He had 10 children. All 10 were boys. Uh, And one of them got into a issue with a teacher, the Police uh, asked for the father to show up. And at that point, they started to put two and two together that Pasquale, as they knew him, was actually Paolo DeLoro. And we can get into how it ultimately came all down for him, but he was the real kind of modern day
1: Naples proper godfather. Uh, how, now, how ambitious was he? You can only make so much money selling to corner boys and on the corners uh, uh, in Naples and make, you know, maybe in Rome, you're going to make so much money, but he, it sounds like he's bringing in pretty decent amounts. And so there's got to be, did he have distributors? And then throughout Europe and, and as we, I mentioned before, I understand they have a big presence in Australia and yep. important drugs into Australia. Yeah. What they were also doing was wholesaling to other areas. Like you mentioned, one of the,
0: the real big connections that they have is they always had very much a big presence in Spain, which we'll get into. Um, and, and remember, most of the profits, in fact, mostly all the profits that Deluro is making, he was taking and reinvesting in legitimate businesses. He had a huge um, a fake goods business where he was selling, sending fake uh, you know, Prada, Gucci, all these different oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, furs and things like that. He was sending them to France, the Netherlands, he had tons of real estate. He was buying villas all throughout um, uh, Segondoliano, Scampia, and other parts of Naples. He had tons of businesses, anything from uh, mechanic shops to, uh, to to salons to pizzerias. He was taking all of his money and putting it back into the community. At one point, Gary, in the early nineties, crime had almost ceased to exist in Segondoliano. He was incredibly powerful to the point where any sort of nonsense. He would quickly dispel any any um, even things to the level of like uh, young men bothering uh, women in the area. He he completely extinguished most crime. And at one point he was looked at as really a, a mythical figure as well, because he yeah. eliminated crime. You could keep your windows and doors open. You didn't have to worry about your car being stolen. Most crime had ceased to exist. He was that good. He was that feared. And he was almost looked at as, as the political figure, and that's what the Kamora ended up ultimately doing. They ultimately started getting in bed, really, with the p- local politicians in those areas, yeah. and they realized they were more powerful than the government, and that's where the, the power really came from. But really, the end would come for Deloro in the early two thousands because ultimately the government started looking into him after going to his son's school. The government started looking into Deloro, uh, and it took about three or four years to bring a case against them. But by that point, he had already skipped town and was in hiding. Uh, many people actually believed Gary that Dolores. They thought he was in different countries. He was seen in Europe, supposedly. But they, they had assessed that throughout the whole time, he actually lived in Segunda Liana. One of the big things that they do over Naples is they'll pay uh, an older woman or something like that to basically lease out an area of her house. Uh, they, 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 they. they live there and, and they operate there. And it's not an easy life, but it's better than going to prison. Um, but we can kind of get into how it all ended for Deloro. And this would really be the most violent part. And a lot of the stories in the show Gomorrah
1: were based on, on really the end for, for Deloro in real life. Interesting. Now that, uh, that whole drug business, it, it lends itself to organization, of course, and, and he provided the organization And and then he brought the politicians in, which you can't really have a good organized crime group without the the political angle and and wiring up the courts like Chicago. They had the entire Cook County wired up at one time. Right. Exactly. Uh, And and so then as it became known about the drugs, there's a lot of of negative publicity, shall we say, about narcotics that that would happen because of all the social problems. Did that that start turning the politicians against him? Well, you know, I think the pro- I
0: think what what, what Paolo Doloro also was able to do, fascinatingly enough, he was able to create an alliance, if you will. If you've ever seen the show, in the show they create this alliance. Uh, that was very much true in real life. There were other clans in Naples, the Lachardi clan, the Caldini clan, all of them operated. And that's one thing about DeLoro. He was very peaceful. He wanted to operate and say everybody is going to make money. I'm the wholesale top guy, but Everyone works in unison. And they created something called the Segundigliano Alliance, which is still around today. All the clans worked in harmony for the most part and controlled everything. He felt like, why involve murder and all that stuff? Because that's going to bring the police. The preferred go-between for local politicians was dealing with the Camorra as opposed to the government. Because as we know, in Italy... The Italian government is incredibly poor, and they are the ones to blame for the most part of why the Camorra and other crime groups have been able to survive for so long. The government does not do anything for the people of Italy, and it's easier to deal with the local Camorra. They're in your neighborhoods. They're there helping you. If you need bread, they'll buy it for you. A lot of the areas that you see in the show, most of the people that live in those areas are paid by the Camorra to either be runners, lookouts. Um, you hold drugs, hold money, hold guns. Everyone is involved. And there's no, the, the bond of America of is very much alive there. And it was there for a long time. So DeLoro saw the bigger picture. And he was able to say to the rest of the powerful groups like Lachardi and Cotini and all these different groups and say, hey, let's all band together. And we're way more powerful than the government. And for the longest time, there was no nothing the government could do about it. It wouldn't be until the 2000s when. Delora went on the run. He was forced to give control up of his clan. And that was the undoing for them. He put it in control of his oldest son, Cosimo. Now, Cosimo is the character Gennaro in the show. He was a hot-headed ladies' man. A uh, long hair, drove a Lamborghini. He he traveled to France and Spain a lot to vacation. Hot-headed lunatic. He ostracizes the older people that belonged to his father's clan. And his father couldn't do anything because he was in hiding. So the young Dolores starts taking over. He eliminates the structure that he had as far as dealing with all the families peacefully. Delora was trigger happy. He thought nothing other than just violence. And what happens is the ostracized group of older people breaks away. They call them the Shishanisti. They were based in Spain. They had kind of fled Italy and went to Spain and developed a power broker status there and went to war with this younger group. And we see that in the first season of Gomorrah, the Sicianisti, this individual named Rafael Amato, he was one of the high-end groups in the Amato Club. He starts to go to war against the Delora. And what would happen is in 2004, there were like 100 murders in Naples. There was blood everywhere. Innocent people were being killed. And what ultimately happened for the Kimura is the government had to start taking notice, Gary, because eventually, unlike the fairly tranquil period of the old De Deloro, Cosimo completely destroyed it. And in one case, what happened is they started killing innocent people, one of which was a very publicized case of a woman, Jossamina Verde. She was a one-time girlfriend of a member of the Shishanisti and uh, uh, the Deluro clan, these hot-headed lunatics, they kidnap her, torture her, kill her, and let her car on fire. And at that point, the government has to start taking notice. These high-profile crimes; there were crimes involving children. The government really had to start pulling the wool away from their eyes and say, "This is a violent organization that we need to just completely extinguish." And interestingly enough, out of the ten sons that Deluro had nine are involved in the life one was killed three or four during life in prison one son ends up he actually has a clean record as far as i know is not involved with the mob but he ultimately Cosimo destroyed the family and he's actually serving a life sentence one of the murders he's serving is for the murder of joseph Verde, the young woman that was killed but the government had to start taking notice gary for the longest time the government did not want to realize that the Camorra was a problem um, and other groups are a problem. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't hide anymore. This is stuff that had to be dealt with.
1: Were they able to uh, during this time and bringing these, trying to bring cases? Were they able to turn any really high level people like uh, Tommaso Bucetta down in uh, in Sicily? Were they able to turn somebody like that in order to? I mean, you got to have a storyteller. Yeah. What what
0: what happened was that situation I was talking about. Initially enough, in I think the later season of One in Gamora, the Jalsamita Verde uh, story was actually acted out. It was different names and stuff. But ultimately what would happen is some of the individuals involved with that murder started cooperating. And in fact, the boyfriend of Verde who was killed, he started cooperating as well. And yeah, the, the dominoes really started to fall. As you know, um, you really can't build the case really anywhere without informants or storytellers. Yeah. You said, um, you have to have it. And they ultimately would start co- having people cooperate. but. Yeah. There's also a lot of people that didn't cooperate to this day. Paolo Dolura, the elder statesman of Segundigliano is still alive. Um, he's, I believe 58 years old and in Italy, Gary, they have a system called 41 beast. 41 beast is a, a, structured system inside maximum security prison. Think of it like the ADX. It's really their version of the ADX. Oh, yeah. They have a very high end people there and they're basically cut off from society. Uh, but yeah, uh, to answer your question, uh, Individuals started cooperating uh, and and really taking the veil off the Camorra. Now, interestingly enough, this has not completely extinguished the Camorra. The Camorra is still around. The Segundiliano Alliance is still around. The Lachardis are still around. A lot of these groups are still around. In fact, one of the uh, really over the last 10, 20 years, Maria Lachardi, who I mentioned, Lacharda, they go back many years in Segundiliana. They were very much aligned with DeLoro. Maria Lachardi is a woman who actually was very similar to DeLoro in the fact that she was very much a leader and in fact Gary in the mid 2000s there was a study done by uh, the Italian government that actually proved that a woman's leadership was more effective than a male's okay. in Naples and that these young men were more inclined to work for a woman and do it at a high level she also was she also would do things like at one point she realized the shipment of drugs was too pure and that it might start killing people mm-hmm. The family went against it and started selling them in a way in general, and they started killing people, the drugs. And she ended up really kind of grabbing it, saying, you know what, we're doing things wrong. She actually is still around and was just arrested about a year ago. So these families are still all around. Now, most of these individuals that we're talking about are in prison. A lot of the Lechardi clans in prison, the Delora clan, most of them are in prison and most of them are there for life. What we've seen, though, phenomenon-wise is over the last five to ten years, a really disturbing situation has arose, arose in Naples, uh, Naples uh, a system called Peranza. Peranza is, um, it basically translates to young gangster. It's a young gangster. And we're seeing these baby gangs created. And this is a big problem now in Forcella and some of the districts of Naples, where you have bosses, Gary, 14, 15, 16 years old. Now, these are some descendants, these are sons, these are nephews, these are grandsons of these older folks. And they're banding together on their scooters, and they're going out and killing people, and they're creating a a, a connection to the drug trade. You have kids 15, 16 years old that are making millions of dollars selling drugs in these districts. And the system that I've learned, it's really kind of sad, Gary, to think about because it's very connected to any other major organized crime group. We don't think of ISIS as a crime group, but they are. They're an organized crime group that prey on youth, just like the Kimura. These kids are so infatuated with these shows, these people. They see them every day. They've been around them. And this is the problem with organized crime, Gary. Whether we look at America, Europe, Africa, wherever, all these kids grow up around it. They want to be like it and they end up being it. There was a quote that came out of one of Roberto Saviano's book, one of the famed journalists on the Camorra, who's actually under hiding for the last 20 years due to his reporting on the Camorra. He has a very sad line in one of his books that in Italy, you're looked down upon, Gary, in Naples if you make it to your 30th birthday. Many of the young Camaristas believe that you should be dead by 20 or 25. And if you're not, you're not a good enough Camorra member. Your goal um, sadly, they don't look at much past the 20th birthday. They pledge their life to this. And that's the difference between this group and, you know, the group we have here in America, they're not willing to die like those kids over there. They look at it as this is all we know. We're married to it and we actually welcome death. And if we don't die by a certain age,
1: we're failures. Interesting. You know, there's, uh Like in the United States, we've just got guns, guns, guns everywhere. I mean, they're just so easy to get. I know in in England, of course, and and Europe, they really are hard to find. Now, how do they, do do they use guns like we do in the United States? Or they just get them smuggled in? Somebody have a big business of smuggling guns in? Yeah, guns are
0: a major problem. And a lot of the connection they have, I mean, they're actually somewhat connected to the other crime groups as well. But there's a lot of, as I said, connections to Northern Africa even into South America. What I've noticed now is the major alliance is connections with Albanians into the Eastern European areas. If you know anything about Albania, it's a big hub for drugs yeah. uh, from Turkey and other areas, heroin, marijuana. I mean, some of the biggest, um, a lot of the marijuana from Europe is from Albania. So, yeah, getting guns is not difficult. In fact, a lot of these people act as arms dealers and they connect with different groups. There's actually weirdly enough, Gary, it's kind of disturbing. There's a very somewhat, and it's more maligned, but there is somewhat of a connection between, um, you know, different Islamic groups. If we've noticed some of the younger Camaristas that I mentioned actually grow beards. Uh, they look mm-hmm. at the ISIL groups like that as almost kind of the structure of the way they want their group. And, um, it's kind of disturbing, quite honestly. And I think a lot of the maybe the drugs that they're getting nowadays are coming from those, uh, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, all yeah. those because, as you know, I mean, opium is very big in, in Pakistan
1: and, and yeah. Af- Afghanistan and all those places. Interesting. Well, uh, what, uh, one last question, I think, because it's been most enlightening. And, and by the way, you're really good with those names. I wish I could have those uh, place names <laughs> and peaceful, people's names roll off my lips like that. As I told you, I think I you're have good. This, I don't know. I have an innate ability to just remember <laughs> names. I guess I don't... <laughs> You're good. Um, what about like when they go to the Australia or to Canada or to the United States? Do they maintain allegiance back to a camorra group or do they kind of create their own like the the Sicilian mafia really did once it went past the black hand days now they they are american only and don't really look back to sicily for anything
0: yeah i think you know interestingly enough with the camorra if you remember in the early 1900s obviously the 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 italian government did a good job to quell the camorra but a lot of the reason that the camorra struggled for really the 1910s 20s and 30s is most of the people in Naples emigrated to the United States, but weirdly enough, there was not a major presence of the Camorra in New York. It, it ended up just turning into the modern day American mafia as we know. But no, there, there's not a pronounced connection really between the Camorra and the the American organized crime. Now, obviously, a lot of Famous mobsters came from Naples. I mean, you know, Vito Genovese is from Naples. Yeah, a lot of bone. yeah, sure. I mean, John Gotti was from Naples. So, like a lot of higher end uh, mobsters came from Naples. But there's not a real pronounced connection as far as the 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 the, the groups in in Italy. Naples is one of the the Camorra is not to the level of the Andrangheta or the Sicilian Mafia, They're a lot more powerful. They have a bigger slice of the pie, if you will. And they're a lot more transnational, I believe at this point, over some of the some of the Camorra. But uh, it is interesting that a lot of, most of the Camorra never ended up really translating to, to places like England yeah. or the United States or yeah. anything like that. It's mostly been a regional thing, whether it's Naples, even Caserta, which isn't very far away. Caserta has a clan called the Casalisis, which uh, they're quite powerful. And interestingly enough, there has been some interplay, as I know, between the Casalisi clan, which is a, a subset of the Camorra. I've heard some connection between the Gambino crime family and them at one point. Um, and look, as you know, Gary, a lot of the American mafia if we know anything about the pizza connection, some of that, you know, a lot of that are derived from the Sicilian connection. But Naples, yeah. not really.
1: Mm, interesting. Well, Jeff, this, is, this has been fascinating. This is really interesting stuff here. Is there uh, a... Anything else you want to say about him? Is there any kind of big incident or something that...
0: Uh, yeah, I, I really think the, the 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 time that Paolo Delora was boss up in Segunda Leano, as I said, there is no fortified leader of the Camorra. I look at them more as, over the, from really the 70s on, I look at them really as a drug trafficking organization as opposed to a mafia, if you will. Um, there's no pronounced boss. There's just a bunch of clans that, kind of either work together and they occasionally uh, beef with each other. But for the most part, I've always found Delore to be incredibly fascinating. And look, I think the greatest organized crime book ever written is Gamora, the, the story of Sav- Saviano, who, Gary, as I said, he's basically you uh, in Italy, uh, if you could say, or any of these reporters that report on the mob, uh, he has lived in secret hiding. He has a police uh, 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 recruitment that Uh, guard him due to his speaking out on this group, Uh, they're very powerful. Um, I've always found a lot of his stories to be fascinating. And um, it's another world. But unlike here, most societies, for the most part, are protected by the government. If you need something, the government will help you. In Italy, it's a little different. There is no connection between the people and the government. For the people of Naples, it's much easier to deal with the Camorra. They've been around forever. They're the ones that
1: help you, not the government. Oh, interesting. All right, Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And and folks, uh all you wiretappers out there, it's Jeff do with the sit-down on YouTube. Uh, any, you got any last words here for the wiretappers?
0: Well, Gary, I appreciate all the wiretappers. I appreciate all the people. Uh, you're actually going to come on one of my shows here right. very soon. We're going to talk some Kansas City stuff and kind of collaborate on some things.
1: It's great to talk to you, and I, uh, I appreciate having yeah, I, I forgot that. That I am going to be on. We're going to record here in a couple of weeks or a week, 10 days. Yep. I can't remember. Uh, yep. uh, sometimes I, I got to have a calendar. If I don't have things written down the calendar, but I've got that in there. And you're going to put it up pretty quick after that, I believe. So
0: Yeah, I'm probably going to put it up the, the day after. We're going to record okay. uh, the week of the 28th, so about okay. a week from today. And uh, yeah, it should be great. We'll talk some Savella, and Kansas City stuff. And I think a really underrated family. a lot of people don't talk about Kansas City, but uh, I know you're one of the the proprietors of the nation. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm the go-to guy for Kansas City, I was That's told correct. here recently. You All are. right, Jeff, thanks a lot. Thanks, Gary. All right, bye. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Gangland Wire. Now, don't forget to like and subscribe down below if you're on YouTube. Now, I started on YouTube, as you all have noticed, I would imagine. Uh, If you're on an audio platform like the Apple Podcast app, you can give me a review there. I appreciate that. Uh, You can also support the making of each episode uh, by buying me a shot and a beer on your Venmo app. If you had Venmo, that's at Gangland Wire. Uh, I have a new way. Uh, buy me a cup of coffee. There's a link in the show notes uh, to buy me a cup of coffee or two. Uh, you can go to my website. You can see all my books and movies uh, that are for sale, or you can donate via your credit card on the PayPal button or if you have a PayPal account. And if you donate enough, why, you start getting those books and movies in uh, a, um, a coffee cup or a t-shirt or whatever you want. Uh, uh, and remember, if you or a friend are suffering from PTSD, check out the Veterans Administration resources. Uh, just go to Google and Google PTSD and Veterans Administration or VA and you'll find that website and you'll find there's a hotline and, and there's links there to, to help you find uh, uh, resources to uh, deal with that problem. And remember, look out for motorcycles on the road and stay safe. Bye, folks music provided by our good friend and super fan from portland oregon casey mcbride thanks casey